all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any issues or topics that have to do with your health or the health of someone else that you need answered. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call this morning, we would love to hear your question via email. You can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org, or if you'd like to podcast our programs, you can go to mpbonline.org, or you can search for it uh, on the uh, the App Store, uh, or the, sorry, the uh, uh, podcast. Um, just search for Southern Remedy, and you can always listen to those that are archived. We usually have those up within about 24-hour period, uh, and it's a great way to catch up on maybe parts of the program that you missed or to hear the entire program over again. Hope everybody is having a great holiday season. I know we've got a couple of different holidays. People, of course, uh, would uh, are celebrate holidays in different ways. That's one of the best things is getting with your family and uh, and friends and celebrating that. I uh, hope everybody is safe while they're doing that. Please be uh, aware of all kinds of safety issues that are out there, including uh, uh, potential COVID risks. It's still still going on, and we're still waiting to see how Omicron, uh, our newest COVID COVID variant is going to affect um, affect the holiday season. So just um, keep some practical things in mind. You know, we're we've always um, suggested that you keep that in mind when you have fun doing things like going to the beach, wear sunscreen or protective clothing. Uh, if you're going to go in the woods protect yourself against those nasty biting insects that might uh, not only be a nuisance but maybe carry other diseases. So that's just a normal part of prevention that you can do and uh, just use the brain that the good Lord gave you and uh, use that to uh, make the best decisions for you and your family. The number to call this morning, again, is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Now, one of the uh, recent studies that came out is looking at what types of medications, and this is common for a lot of studies, what types of medications are best, particularly if you have more than one condition. And a common one, because we have so many people that have diabetes and other conditions, is heart failure and diabetes. And fortunately for the treatment of diabetes, we have a number of different medications. 
Some people are able to be controlled with one, but we found that a combination or uh, different types in different people, if you have other conditions, can be beneficial. So one of the questions on, that's ongoing with a lot of these trials is, if you have heart failure, what can keep you out of the hospital? We know that that is a significant, but a significant health risk of a person having to go in the hospital if they have heart failure, if they have an exacerbation of that. And then also, it's a big uh, cost to the healthcare system. So there's a lot of interest in this for a person who has uh, mild heart failure, uh, which the the way this study was designed, it was greater than 40% ejection fraction. That's just a number that describes the amount of blood that's ejected from the heart. Uh, normal would usually be somewhere between 50 and 55%. Um, but uh, so a little bit of heart failure and diabetes, and they looked at the different types of particular medications that they were put on for diabetes when they went in the hospital for this heart failure exacerbation. And one in particular, metformin, which is one that is an, an older medication, it's been around for a long time, very good. It's usually still a first line or second line choice uh, for diabetics to treat their uh, to treat their glycemia, uh, their blood sugar. Uh, metformin was a little bit better um, than uh, or didn't cause any harm when compared to another class of medications called sulfonylureas. These are things like glipizide uh, that are used to to decrease blood sugar. So certainly the sulfonylureas didn't look like they did as, as well. We do know that a drug class called the SGLT2 inhibitors, and these are uh, hard to say drugs, but uh, basically they're, um, they, they start off with CANA, CANA, uh, DEPA, and IMPA, uh, and pagliflocksacin. So these, uh, uh, these three medications are the most common of SGLT2 inhibitors, and we do know that if you have heart failure and diabetes, that's a particular one that can improve uh, your outcomes as it relates to heart failure. So certainly metformin is not better than that, but if you had to choose two, metformin plus an SGL2 inhibitor um, would be the best choice. So just some more evidence there about you might want to discuss that with your doctor if you have heart failure and diabetes give them a call and say, hey, can you look at my medications and just make sure that I'm on the ones that would provide the most benefit for me? Because that, as things change, you know, we have more information on this over time. The SGLT2 inhibitors haven't been around a whole lot uh, when compared to some of these other medications, but we're always gathering new data to try to tease out what's better for patients and exactly in different uh, conditions what would be better. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your calls about any kind of health topic. Maybe it's a new diagnosis or some new symptoms that have popped up in the last few weeks. Maybe it's a new medication that you're taking and you just wanted to call about potential side effects. You can always reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. One of the other questions that we get during the holidays is, should you change around your medications uh, for different things. Now, we do a lot of different things during the holidays. We travel, and a lot of patients will say, well, I, if I take my blood pressure medication um, or my heart failure medication, I know I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. So if I'm traveling by vehicle or even on a plane, I might hold that. Can I do that? 
and that may be appropriate in some instances, um, but if you do have other uh, more serious problems, particularly the heart failure, then you may want to uh, you check with your physician before you do that. That's one that I get all the time, particularly for hypertension. And, you know, the truth is one dose of it, particularly as you're driving for somewhere else, that's probably not going to make a big deal. Now, if you... Um, if you do eat a lot of things with salt in it, you're going to retain more water, and you may even have more urination uh, caused by that downstream. Uh, so you do want to keep that in mind, too. But just uh, check with your physician before you hold those medications. All right, we're going to go to our first caller of the hour. Let's go to Debbie from Wesson. Good morning, Debbie. Debbie? Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. What does one do if one has never been diabetic and I'm 64 now, and all of my life I've been struggling to try to keep my blood sugar level up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a problem. It's not as big a problem as diabetes. You know, we have, particularly in Mississippi, we have a lot of diabetics. Certain parts of the state, almost 20% uh the population will have it. But, um, yeah, if you have never had that, there's not really a medication that can make it go up. Now, there are certain conditions that can predispose you to that. Our bodies regulate blood sugar in different ways. Uh, when blood sugar gets too high, our pancreas, which sits right around where the stomach is, just sort of, sort of uh, below and behind it, um, makes insulin, and that is released into the bloodstream, and it helps to lower blood sugar. But it also there are also other substances like glucagon, which is a different type of hormone than insulin, that does just the opposite. It actually increases um, increases the amount of glucose, and our liver plays a big part of that. The other thing is our diet. Obviously, if you're not getting a constant stream, because glucose or blood sugar that is our main source of energy for most of the body. There's other ways that the body can get energy from the foods that we eat, but you need at least a little bit of that um, for good, healthy metabolism and doing all the things that your body does. So if you're fasting for long periods, if you don't have a lot of, you know, a significantly uh, constant diet where you're getting those good types of foods, and you may want to look into a lot of, uh, you know, just Google or look into glycemic index. It's very interesting, like the types of, of sugars or carbohydrates that we intake can be better for us long term. That would be the first thing that I would say if you're more prone to lower blood sugars. And then um, other things that we ingest can modulate it too. Caffeine can modulate it, sometimes other medications that we're taking. An endocrinologist, if you have a lot of problems, like if you're passing out from low blood sugar, um, that probably warrants a visit to them. Uh, just so that they can look at things. And in really rare cases, there are some things like a tumor that could be secreting uh, glucagon or another substance like that that could lower your blood sugar. So that might need to be investigated. But generally speaking, it has a, more to do with our activity, what we're eating, and those kinds of things, and maybe some medications that you're taking. So that's Dr. what I would think. May I interject something? Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. My sister had cystic fibrosis uh-huh. and um, I have been more of a protein person but because of allergies to fruit it seems like the only fruit I can eat is fermented fruit yeah so it's kind of and I'm really 
careful about my diet, you know. Um, and I'm 64 now, and mm-hmm. uh, but this has been all of my life that I've still been struggling to keep my blood sugar level up. Right. And I have these other little family history things and personal things, you know, going on, but I'm also hypothyroid. Yeah, and and that can be another one, too, that influences it. You know, our thyroid gland is sort of the master gland, so it, it, it influences all those other things. And it sounds like because of some of the things that you've had to change in your diet, that might be predisposing you at least to those those times. And you may even have to eat those kinds of foods more often, um, you know, throughout the day so that your blood sugar doesn't uh, doesn't dip down too much. Well, okay, when you say those kind of things, which kind of things are you talking about? Because I'm doing all I know to do right now. Um, yeah, I think if that's a, you know, looking at your carbohydrate sources. Now, fruits aren't the only one. Certainly grains uh, can be uh, a lot of, another source of that. And, you know, when you look at carbohydrates, that's really, if you look at that as a category, that's going to be the main source where you get a lot of that. And again, your body can turn other things like fats or proteins into energy, but it doesn't do it as efficiently as those carbohydrates. Um, so I would another another thing uh, to think about if you don't see an endocrinologist, which you, you may already be because of your thyroid, um, is to maybe see if they can send you to a nutritionist to look at those kinds of problems that you've had with different types of foods and see if they can come up with one that gives you all of the nutrients that you need but has enough variability so that if you go out or if you, you know, are preparing food yourself, you'll sort of know what what you can eat and how to prepare that. Well, I appreciate that because I could stand to lose about 100 pounds. So all <laughs> the carbs can... I've been eating along the way are right. like, I'm not going to fit through the door by the time I'm 65 if I keep on this way. (laughs) Talk to your doctor about maybe seeing a nutritionist or an endocrinologist about that. And sometimes nutritionists are in conjunction with an endocrinologist clinic, so that may not be such a bad idea. Thank you so much, Dr. Jimmy. I love your show, and I so much appreciate you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Coach Charlie Melton and I want to help steer you in the right direction. If you need coaching on fixing up your automobile, listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect, found on all podcasting platforms. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and got already a great one about low blood sugar. The number to call if you would like to ask any type of question about the health of yourself or someone else, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Mike from Hernando next. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, got a question for you. I am 76 years old. Um, I'm an artist, a writer, 
and I've noticed the first signs of apparently arthritis in my hands and wrists. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it felt like somebody was stabbing me with a knife. They have subsided, but is there anything dietary that I can do to help curtail the spread of such a thing? I know it, there's no cure for it, but right now I feel pretty good. I got dexterity in my fingers, although my hands feel slightly tingly. Is there anything yeah. I could be eating or taking? Yeah, then you know the, the a lot of people have looked at this. It's you know at 76, chances are this is more osteoarthritis, which is the type of arthritis that is more sort of wear and tear arthritis. It's not the autoimmune type, um, and and that certainly if you use your hands a lot, eventually you're going to get that. And the most common place is is around the joints that control movement of the thumb in in your dominant hand, but you can get it in other places too because we use our hands and wrist a lot. Um, as far as preventing that or slowing the course of it, um, a lot of people swear by certain things. Uh, my grandmother swore by fish oil. She took fish oil her whole life, and it was twofold, mostly for arthritis is what she took it for. The other was for her heart. Um, there are other things out there, glucosamine, chondroitin sulfate. All of these have been looked at and haven't shown to be that beneficial in decreasing the progression, although for some people, they would say they benefit from uh, a decrease in pain, which usually allows them to be more mobile for a longer period of time. We do know that if you stop using those joints uh, for a prolonged period of time, uh, then that can cause more problems. You'll lose that mobility. So the more you can move them through the pain, the better. Of course, you know, it's real simple things can help a lot of people significantly, like cold or warmth. Um, and what I usually try tell people is, like, look, choose which one. Uh, you know, try both of those out. And we know for some people warmth works better from a pain standpoint and for others cold does. And uh, if you could do that in a, you know, uh, like the warmth, I'll say do like a paraffin bath, which is, you know, just melting some wax to a comfortable temperature to put your hands in because it penetrates better. And then for cold, usually water works the best to do that from immersion standpoint. And the hand's an easy joint to do for that. Um, as far as anything well, to take, I, go ahead. I was going to ask you, there's a on the over-the-counter uh, heat, H-E-E-T, that generates heat. And uh, I wondered, you know, if I use that as a balm on my hands, would that help? Or is that to be avoided? No, I think that's fine. And there's a lot of those out there that either is a dr direct transmission of the heat uh, from the, the whatever you're using, or it can be a stimulation of the skin. It feels that way. You know, we used to use that and track all right. the time, like Icy Hot and stuff, things like that. Yeah, but, Icy um, Hot. That was the brand. Yeah, yeah. And they've been around a long time. Um, but, yeah, that's if fine. You will. I've, uh, I've been taking uh, religiously uh, hemp oil. I do, do, I do take CBD every day and have done so now for almost two years, and I feel great. I mean, it's stopped a lot. But I'm also taking an eyedropper, half eyedropper full of hemp oil under the tongue, and it yep. seems to work. I mean, it's, it's helped. Yeah, and I think, I, I think you, that's what you sort of have to do. Unfortunately, it's not consistent across all groups of people, and sometimes in something like this, you just have to sort of 
um, you know, sort of try different things. I do think, you know, if, if particularly for those who have other health problems, you need to always check with your physician if it's going to be okay to take um, over-the-counter medications or herbal medications um, just because some of them can have side effects. I don't I don't hear of anything that, that what you're suggesting that could be uh you know that that harmful and uh certainly CBD's getting a lot of uh press with um with um the uh with chronic pain uh and right. certainly osteoarthritis can you know is one of those so in fact we've we're sort of ramping up at UMC some of our uh uh, CBD and THC uh, studies. We've we've participated in those, and actually there was one for um, uh, seizures in kids that uh, was pretty promising on the individual uh, um, on the um, smaller numbers of patients that were enrolled in it. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned well, by it. Honestly, of course, uh-huh. I, I wanted to check with you because I've been healthy as a horse all my life. Last time I was at a doctor was in a, was in my 20s, and I'm now 76. I don't go to doctors. I I mean, I'm healthy as that, you know, I'll get out. I'm still extremely mobile. I'm very, I can get around like crazy. I squat down, get up, everything. And I started the um, hemp oil, and it really seemed to help my hands because I wake up in the morning, and they're a little painful, and I'll go take two shots of it, and it's within 10 minutes, I feel great. And so if that's okay to keep that up? Yeah, I think the hemp oil is fine. I think that's fine to do that if that's working for you. Okay. All righty. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I just kind of needed a little bit of confirmation because I wondered if there was anything uh, nutritionally wise I could be eating, like a lot more greens. Yeah, and and that's you know certainly for all kinds of different reasons that's you know eating something that has a lot of whole grains in it, vegetables, fruits, those, those kinds of diets do know where uh i mean that those those are are ones that can benefit you in all kinds of different ways but as far as like something like yes eat this for um for the you know for the osteoarthritis there's not really been anything that sort of popped out on that but i think you know just probably if you've made it to 76 eat a varied diet and those kinds of things and try to avoid some of the more processed foods and um that's liable to to benefit you All right, I think we lost Mike there. Uh, we're going to go to Peter from Mobile next. Good morning, Peter. Uh, good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, doc, uh, Dr. Jimmy, I have a, a slightly elevated uh, blood urea nitrogen level, and uh, uh-huh. my doctor just said, well, drink more water and we'll, we'll try it again. Uh, but roaming around uh, WebMD, I see that if kidney problems are starting, a restless leg syndrome um, may be part of it. And I do have something happening at night when I try to go to sleep. I feel like my leg, the one leg, the right leg, wants to move. It doesn't move. It just sort of feels like it wants to move. Can you tell me what restless leg is? And uh, yeah, is that symptomatic, what I just described? So restless leg syndrome is one of the uh, sort of parasomnias. So it's a group of medical conditions that happen when you're asleep or right around the time that you're asleep. And generally people will say, well, it's I just can't keep my legs from moving. They're involuntary movements or you just feel the urge to move your legs. Um, or it may be while you're asleep, a spouse or significant other may say, well, I, I'm, you know, they're just driving me crazy with their legs moving at night. 
We don't know exactly all the reasons for that. Um, sometimes they're associated with other things like sleep apnea, and a sleep specialist can be very useful in diagnosing these and treating them. Sometimes sleep uh, restless leg syndrome is uh, is looks like more of a neurologic issue. It's not really progressive, but it can be very disruptive to your sleep and to other sleep. Uh, there are some medications like Repirinol that that are been used to um, to treat this that act at the brain level to sort of suppress that system at night um, and help you get some relief. There's a couple other medications and treatments for that. Now I'm not aware of the of an elevated BUN that's been associated with that. So BUN is not the only test that we use to diagnose or to follow for kidney problems. Creatinine is another one. Um, but there, you really it, an, an isolated elevation, even if it's like you know consistent. Most of the time, I'll do what what sounds like your doctor's doing is just to watch that over time. And if you do fast or or if you don't drink a lot of fluids before your doctor's visit, that can be elevated by itself. It's just um, you know that's sort of a, actually it's another way we use that is to determine the level of dehydration with a patient that comes in to say the emergency room. So it it can be a lot of different things of of why reasons for why it's elevated, or it might be an overproduction. But if it's just a mild elevation probably not something to worry about and again I'm not I'm not aware of how that could be directly related as an isolated thing on the labs to the restless legs but if if they're bothering you you know I would see a sleep specialist about that you don't necessarily have to see them to go ahead and start medication a lot of times I'll start one you know medication first and then um and then go, you know, if there's still some problems in them to a sleep specialist. But at least somebody should be asking for some of the other symptoms of of uh, sleep-related uh, problems because sometimes if you solve that problem, like with, with CPAP for obstructive sleep apnea, the restless leg problem will sort of go away on its own. Okay, yeah, it's uh, not severe. It, it doesn't actually move. It just feels like it wants to kick, and it doesn't. Yep. So eventually yep. I fall asleep and I forget about it. Yeah. So it sounds like it's fairly mild right now, but if it if it gets worse, you probably need to tell your physician about that. You may want to try that medication that I mentioned. Okay. And uh, I'll mention back to the BUN, my creatine level is within range, and uh, I, I do fast, and uh, I, I, I suspect he's right that I, I, I'm not drinking enough water, so we'll yeah. Next, next time you go to the doctor and you know he's going to check that, drink you about six to eight ounces a couple of hours before that. I bet it's going to be just in the normal range. Will do, Dr. Jimmy. Thank you very much for your help. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
Jiminy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this hour answering your questions about any kind of health care issue you might have. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Previous caller was asking some questions about restless leg syndrome. I mentioned one medication. I should have said what the common name for it was, which was Requip. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that are on Requip. Um, but it is uh, certainly it's used for um, for restless leg syndrome, and it's fairly. I've you know in the patients that I put on it, um, again they have some mild uh, symptoms. Then um, you know usually we don't have to give it. Um, and but if they if they are interfering with your sleep or somebody else's, uh, even in a low dose, it's fairly uh, fairly well tolerated and and fairly successful in decreasing that. So. Uh, it's one of the ones that have been have been studied and looked at. So, um, but again, if you're having problems with sleep, there's lots of things that happen during sleep, uh, and not just for adults. For children too, there's uh, uh, the parasomnia is extended to childhood, and some of them are age related, like night terrors. That can be one that uh, a lot of parents come in and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't." Uh, my child just screams in the middle of the night for no reason, and uh, it doesn't. It, they look at me and they're not awake, and I don't know what to do. And uh, it's it can be terrifying, but that's one of those that um, of those parasomnias that actually goes away, doesn't cause any really long term effects. It just uh, scares the bejesus out of it. So, um, there are lots of things out there that are sort of. Uh, uh, you have to sort of tease out with the history over time. And uh, for people who sleep by themselves, sometimes that can be a little bit more challenging. But if uh, there's somebody there with you, you can uh, you can sometimes get those symptoms. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Mentioned earlier the question that I get during holidays, particularly if you're traveling, about delaying um, uh, taking a medication, particularly a diuretic medication that, uh, or some people will call them fluid pills. Most often these are uh, prescribed either for hypertension or for excess fluid from various conditions. Um, the other question I get is, hey, I know I'm going to be eating a lot and probably a lot of salt. Can I take an extra one? You have to be careful with that because of the effects that they have. And generally, people don't like to swell up after a big salty meal like ham or whatever else you're eating that's really good and some of that good southern cooking that we all enjoy. But you can run into some problems with that. So, again, I would ask your um, physician or whoever prescribes that for you if that's a good idea. Um, a better idea would be try to uh, try to avoid that. But, again, you know, one meal is probably not going to make that much difference in most people. Um, but you do have to, to be careful with taking an extra dose of things. Sometimes those diuretics, particularly things like Lasix, will decrease the amount of sodium in your blood. Um, and uh, it sounds like that might be a good thing to a lot of people because of the excess amount that they take in. But the, uh, the, the way that the medications work can actually make it go down too low. Or it might decrease your blood pressure too low if you take an extra dose of that, even if it's you know sort of a mild diuretic. It just all sort of depends on what's going on. So please, before you do that, check with your doctor or your pharmacist. They can give you a lot of good information uh, about what would be best. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy answering your questions this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Sue from Beaumont. Hi. How are you doing, Dr. Jimmy? 
Good. Good to hear from you, Sue. Well, I, I know you're sick, uh, tired of, uh, sick and tired of COVID questions, but this is not about COVID. A lady at, at the post office and at the store, I've talked to two different people who have elderly family members who uh, are, in spite of all the limited medical resources now, but they've undergone all kinds of tests and all kinds of uh, operations to keep them alive and this and that, and you know. When does it, when does it come time for a person to say that's enough? I don't want any more, and not have the family making them feel guilty not to go on and do it, and try to stay alive. In other words, the patient is willing to go; they just don't want to go to face all the medical problems and uh, tests and operations and everything. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question, Sue. And a lot of people, um, particularly if you know if your prognosis from some of the medical conditions you have. If you know that it looks like you know you're gonna you're gonna die soon, or uh, or even if it's a long death, a lot of people will have certain things that they go ahead and decide on. I think that's an excellent thing to bring up with your physician. It's one that all physicians should bring up with all of their patients. Um, is how would you like to go through, you know, what are your expectations for having something? Um, you know, we could pick out a number of conditions and diseases, Alzheimer's, in-stage heart failure, uh, cancers, um, all of those. You really need to know what to expect as a patient in both the treatment of that and in the natural course of that disease before you can make those. So learning as much as you can, because I've had some patients that say, say, you know, well, if I get cancer of any kind, I just don't want to do anything. And that, that they may not have all of the information they need to make that decision. And we, you know, in the ethics of this, we, um, we tend to, to look towards the autonomy of the individual patient as long as they are able to make decisions on their own. So if the patient's able to think these things things through, and also when you know if they're able to uh, uh, to make those decisions, then that would be the optimal thing. Sometimes you have to have surrogates to do that. Um, you know, children are another area where we we see this too. And some, unfortunately, some types of cancers or or chronic uh, illnesses that are progressive in nature. The other question that comes up is, well, maybe this individual patient, they made this decision when they're 70 and they have a chronic illness um, and they said, I don't ever, you know, with with what I know about my progression of the disease and what to expect, I don't want to have any life-sustaining therapy. I don't want to be put on a ventilator. Or if I am, I'd like for you to consider taking me off after these these things happen. And that's perfectly fine. That's their wishes. It's their autonomy to make those decisions, and that's what we should respect. But then in the course of the illness, maybe the patient has a stroke and is not able to make those same decisions, or they have a cognitive decline. What I counsel families and what the the profession should counsel families is during those times, always remember what your loved one would want. We always default, you know, the question, the way I phrase it is, if if your dad, let's say it's somebody's father, if your dad were here right now and he could think the way he used to, what would he have said that we should do? Now, hopefully he's had those conversations with the family, with the physician, and that's something else I counsel 
individual patients is like if they tell me, hey, doc, if I if this happens to me, I don't want this to be done, or I want to, you know, this is the way that I would like to die during in in these certain situations. And I say that look, as your physician, I'm going to honor that to the best of my ability. But let me encourage you to also talk to your family about that. And that can be even more of a difficult conversation. Um, But, you know, think about this. You owe your family to do that early on, to know without a doubt and not have to guess what you would want when you get to that point. Those are always good discussions to have as early as possible so that they would have everything in their power to make those expectations I also get it. I've seen families have to struggle through this. and We've had several examples in my own family where you get to the point where you have to make that decision. Should we move on? Should we, uh, should we not do some interventions at this point just because it's going to prolong the inevitable? Um, and, you know, we can do a lot in medicine. Uh, we have a lot of medical care that uh, prolongs life and is very uh, useful, and uh, we've been able to do a lot of different things. We can't predict everything that will happen, but uh, I do think that's part of the discussion is what are the expectations of the individual patient in those situations, and what would they want if, they, if they're not able to state it right then? What would they have said if they would have known this? And oftentimes those are decisions that the physician has to make with the family um, because they're going to have the best input if that patient never said anything to them. I've appreciated patients that brought this subject up to me in clinic, uh, and I've encouraged them to go home and talk to their families about it or even bring their families back with them next time to talk about it. But it's been very reassuring for families when I tell them, hey, your dad and I talked about this multiple times. I wrote it down on the chart, so I would remember these were his wishes. I hope that he told you about this. It is very reassuring to them to know that. Um, So for all of you out there that even if you're not dealing with that, it's always a great conversation to have with your loved ones and your physician so that they'll know uh, because we always want to do what's best for the individual and try to respect what their wishes are. But from a patient standpoint, please, you know, get all the information you can. There are cancers now that are totally, you know, curable or at least 95 plus percent of the time curable. And there's very uh, aggressive cancers that if you catch them early are very curable and the treatments have gotten a lot better in those. So ask all the questions before you make those decisions if you have a surprise like that. You're done. Thank you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and taking your calls about healthcare topics that are near and dear to you. On the original Southern Remedy program, we're not really, don't do a whole lot of themes, uh, but uh, certainly today is sort of open like we usually do. So it's any kind of question you have. If you're not able to call in today, we would still love to hear what your question is. Please email us that question. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Rush from Meridian, who's up next. Good morning, Rush. Rush, are you Oh, Rush. I'm uh, sorry. There is a I, Rush hospital in Meridian. Yes, and maybe right. I got, uh, <laughs> got uh, my, uh, uh I just walked in the kitchen when I heard the guy calling about the restless leg syndrome. I'm 81, and I've been dealing with it for years, and I've uh, finally discovered that uh, when it's always at night, generally, and uh, or bed, bedtime, and uh, I take a walker and walk just at a normal speed, and I take a thousand steps, and it takes care of the restless leg syndrome in both legs. If that doesn't work, lay in the bed, hold your leg up just as long as you can, up, just up to the Raise your leg as high as you can, or as long as you can. I try to do it for a hundred count, and that will take care of it. But the walking is the best thing if you can do that. And uh, I think this guy was in his seventies, so he should probably be able to do that. And uh, uh, the walking is the best thing. And uh, another thing for low back pain, I have three herniated discs on the left side of L3, 4, and 5. And over the past two or three years, I've been doing collagen uh, 1 and 3. I mean, 1 and 2. 1 and 3 is generally combined. I do them at, at different times of the day. And they don't, they, the collagen experts say they work better to take them at different times of the day. And that collagen and drank uh, 80 ounces of water, I think, a day. And that collagen at night, when you lay down, that collagen will feed that spinal disc and actually has the power to push those discs apart. In other words, we lose height starting in our 20s. We start losing collagen each year in our 20s. So I got about a 60-year deficit to build up, and uh, it is helping it is really helping, and uh, I recommend anybody to listen to to Google up Dr. Joel Wallach, W A L L A C H, a very controversial uh, medical, I mean, a uh, pharmaceutical veterinarian, a world leading veterinarian, and also a degreed naturopathic doctor. And he is gunning for you regular doctors, which I think is wrong, but he has got some great information about uh, something that relates to, to Alzheimer's, and that goes back. You'll have to Google him up and read the Crisco Revolution, and that'll explain the whole thing. In other words, what it boils down to, take a high-quality vitamin, don't take any, don't cook with anything out of a bottle. Cook with 
lard if you got a fry. I don't fry at all. But if you got a fry, fry with lard or whole butter, but don't let it change colors. And what that will do when you quit using cooking oil out of a bottle, it will dissipate white blood cell scar tissue on the inside of the blood vessel. And he's highly controversial, but he is really a genius. And I recommend him to everybody, not to Joel Watt and you as well, read the Crisco Revolution. He might give give you regular doctors a hard time, which I think is wrong. <laughs> I, I don't mind that at all, Russ. Uh, hey, thank you for that information. So let me let me touch on a couple of things before we're going to try to squeeze in one other caller here before we we run out of time. Uh, yeah, those things about restless leg. I should have mentioned that earlier. You mentioned two of the things that can uh, be very helpful, and that's movement and walking is one of them, and then the stretching exercises too. And a lot of people do that, you know, and don't have to take any kind of medication. Um, you know, let me let me mention one thing. Uh, certainly, I'm not a veterinarian, and I don't comment on how to treat animals. Um, I would say the same. While I would be respectful to hear anybody and uh, you know any kind of information that's out there, be be very careful about that. There is some really good information about both how to decrease your chances of getting Alzheimer's and really new treatments about how to treat it. And also a lot of information about the type of diets that are not good for certain things like heart disease, stroke. And unfortunately, that that contradicts a lot of the things that that uh, that the doc the uh, veterinarian has been uh, at you know advocating for. We do know that that solid fats, animal fats, a diet higher in that is going to be much much more of a risk for a uh, heart attack and stroke. Of course, moderation, you know, in everything. Certainly, you can have a little bit of that. But the liquid oils generally are better for you, particularly if it's olive oil um, and some of the nut-type oils. So just just be careful with that. We And, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot of people are extremely persuasive, uh, but they may not have the depth and breadth of evidence to support that. So the persuasiveness can take a little bit of knowledge and apply it in ways that can sometimes not be the best kind of way. So, uh, but I do appreciate that, Russ, and I'll, I'll check this guy out and see what I think, and uh, maybe we can uh, touch base on that in another program. We're going to go to our last caller of the hour real quick, because, Sandra, we got about a minute and a half. Hi. Hi, My what's your question? My question is about men's prostate cancer. Uh, my husband is relatively young and has been diagnosed with prostate cancer from a biopsy he had because his PSA was going up. Mm-hmm. And he has opted to have his prostate removed. Can you tell us about, real quick, some advances that have been made in that area? Yeah, so, so removal for prostate cancer um, there are different ways to do that. The old way is a radical one, which had a lot more side effects and damaged a lot of the tissues in the surrounding area. Um, and some of the more recent ones are much more focused. Um, they're minimally invasive. There's different techniques about how to do that. You don't have to actually cut it out. You can. A lot of times those are thermal treatments too. Uh, sometimes the radioactive implants, which basically take out that tissue without actually having to do a surgery can be very useful too. 
prostate cancer is one of those that is going to differ according to the stages of it in the individual. Um, and so if it's a very low-grade cancer, even if you're younger, there are some things that you can do to uh, to make sure that you preserve a lot of the function in the area and decrease some of the side effects. So a good urologist that's not just going to talk to you about one way to do it, but multiple things and some of the side effects, including what is their rate of success and what kind of side effects that they have if they're going to be the ones doing the surgery. So you may want to even see a couple of different people out there. We have plenty of urologists in most places to choose from um, that can maybe give you different options about that. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org or on your smart devices podcasting platform.